0: Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Amit Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower
1: workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. I am Max Barrick. I'm Amit Bindra, and we are speaking to Carolyn Aberman, who is one of the managing partners and the national in-house practice group leader for the Lucas Group. Carolyn joined Lucas Group in 2017 as a managing partner. She works with legal talent to place them in a wide range of legal positions within law firms of any size, as well as in publicly or privately held corporations. Before doing that, Carolyn holds a BA in international relations from University of Pennsylvania, so we know she's super smart. And a JD from Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law. So we also know she's really smart for that reason. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you
2: so much. It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: I think your our first guest was an international relations degree,
0: which is my undergrad degree too.
2: Well, there you go. It's a great degree.
0: It is. I've, I've
1: not used it since college though.
2: Yeah, me either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why? It's it, international relations doesn't help you guys in your day-to-day jobs. You know, I just want to read a about you know. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Right. It's anything that's interdisciplinary. It just gives you a little bit more flexibility when, when you're in college, it's not necessarily more useful than any other degree.
0: I, I guess, solely, I solely did it because I wanted to read about hegemony. I thought it'd be easy.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things that they tell college kids that looks really cool on your BA. And it's like, oh, I'll have a degree in an international relations. Look at all the things I can do with it. Nothing because you have a BA in liberal arts and that doesn't do anything for you right now, but it looks cool. It worked out for carolyn and me i think we both became Hi. attorneys well
2: i always knew that i wanted to go to law school my dad was a small town lawyer and when i was 11 years old i started doing filing for him i sat in on depositions and it never even occurred to me that i could do something else so
1: Well, So that's a good segue. So before we get into the legal market, which is what we're going to talk about today, what do you do, Carolyn? I mean, we talked in sort of broad strokes here, but can you give us an understanding of what you do at Lucas Group and what Lucas Group is?
2: Yeah, very happy to. It's funny because when I meet someone and you have that question, what do you do? And I say, I'm a recovering attorney and legal recruiter. About 3% of people go, oh, great. And everybody else goes, What is that? (laughs) So the easiest way to explain it is that I'm a headhunter for attorneys. So uh, if you are an attorney, your head is not safe. Sometimes we say that we sell people, but we don't actually sell them. We just help them find new jobs. And Lucas Group is a national executive recruiting firm. So legal is just one of the many verticals and that's where... I spend most of my time as a former practicing attorney. It makes the most sense. And it's where I'm the most useful. But within Lucas Group, we also help uh, people who are looking for roles in accounting and finance, human resources, IT, supply chain and operations, and sales and marketing. So we are full service.
1: So, who do you typically like? Who initiates contact with you when there's a placement that's needed? Is it the attorney or the would be attorney who's reaching out to you, or are you usually engaged by an employer?
2: So, we are always paid by the employer. So, to some extent, our practice is client driven. But in legal, as you well know, attorneys are revenue generating, unlike in a company where an attorney is a cost center. So for our in-house placements, those are all client driven. And once I have that search, we will go out and find them the best candidate that we can. However, for an attorney who is interested in making a move to another law firm, because they are revenue generating, then we can reach out to our various contacts at law firms, help them figure out what might be a great place for them to match whatever their skills are, what their goals are, et cetera. So for law firm placement, we can be a lot more helpful on the candidate side. And very frequently I will get a candidate that reaches out to me or that's introduced to me or that I uh, just reach out to for maybe another role and I can work with them to help them find the, the best position for them.
0: So essentially within the legal market, your clients are both attorneys the folks looking for the job and also the firms or the companies who are looking to hire someone?
2: So this is maybe picky, but it does help me keep it all straight. Candidates are the attorneys who are looking for jobs and candidates and clients are the ones who are hiring them. So they are all useful to me. I love them all, but there is a little bit of a difference in terms of, of how we consider them.
1: Get it together, Amit. She defined them. Yeah. <laughs> it's the IR degree. <laughs> So sw- <laughs> so we'll come back to I think we're going to come back to that in a little bit but we want to switch gears first and talk about what the legal market looks like these days. So we've had a couple other guests come on who are let's call it legal adjacent. Our good friend, actually mutually good friend, Amy Gardner came on and talked about, um, yeah, I I, I agree love with Amy. You. Exactly. It, nobody, this is a very visual podcast. Nobody at home can see, but Carolyn Amit and, and I all smiled and made the same, but we all love Amy face. But right. So Amy talked about the job market right now from another legal adjacent perspective, let's call it. So can you talk to us a little bit about what the legal market looks like right now? Is it a good job market for, for job seekers bad? Is it hot, cold, like, are those terms ridiculous? What are you saying, right yeah. now?
0: So, so think
2: about that little fire pit that you have in your backyard. That's kind of what the job market usually is, right? There's a slow burn. Then think of setting your house on fire. That's what it's like right now. It's insane. I practiced for 14 years before shifting into recruiting. I've been a legal recruiter for a decade and I have never seen anything like this. It is everyone's hiring. There are more jobs right now than there are attorneys to fill that. But I also think that in light of the pandemic and with things shifting, some companies and firms wanting to return to the office, others being very supportive of remote work and hybrid schedules, we are finding people really taking the time to evaluate whether they think they're in the right place. And I think that, that people have become a lot more introspective. And so while there's no question that many of our searches are very challenging because there are more jobs than attorneys, we're having great conversations, and we are moving people and finding them great jobs.
1: What... What can you do? You have any sense of what has caused such a, a house fire of a market right now? Like, I mean, we like turning back a year and change the, the job market, I think, was on its head, right? People were losing jobs left and right. Bigger firms, at least from the outside, from what I could see, were, were, were cutting staff and, and letting go of folks. And in the non legal areas that Amit and I in our bar deal with quite often, people were getting let go, laid off or otherwise left and right, how is it that, I mean, I guess a year's a long time, but what's changed that has led to this, if you can speak to that?
2: So I don't 100% know, despite taking a few economics courses for that international relations degree, uh, I haven't honestly even had the time to really delve into it. And I am intellectually very curious to know what is it that has this economy running so hot right now? but from a pure legal recruiting perspective, it was pretty robust before the pandemic. So we were really on pace to have a record year back in 2020. And obviously, mid-March, it was kind of like a Mack truck just slamming into a wall. And so for about two to three months, we were just trying to figure out where to spend our time, what to do. Nobody knew what the future was going to look like. I think many of us anticipated a deep recession. And so we were a little panicked, but the minute that we kind of got through that, and I don't know if it was the stay at home order or exactly when stuff started to pick back up, but it really started rolling again pretty quickly. And I would say that certainly by the end of summer, we were, we were sprinting again. And I think some of the reasons are first, right, the economy didn't explode, at least it did in certain industries, right? Certainly hospitality, certain other industries, theater, right? Things that rely on people to physically be there. Those suffered. And there are still people today that haven't been able to recover from that. But in the private equity world, in the public company world, in the private company world. So many companies make goods or provide services that people continued to need during the pandemic. And I think business just kept going along. For private equity firms, if they were hoarding cash and waiting for an opportunity to buy, This was a great opportunity for certain companies that were hit hard. For companies that were hit hard, they wanted to get out there and generate something. I I think also that probably to some extent, the PPP money was instrumental to law firms in particular, and certainly some companies really feeling comfortable to not only not let go of their attorneys, but as the work was coming in and they realized that they didn't have the staff to fully staff all of these types of matters to go out and start hiring.
0: Are you seeing this inferno kind of across legal practice areas or is it is it primarily within a couple practice groups?
2: So I feel like it started for sure in transactional areas. So private equity, M&A, banking, and capital markets, And those areas remain hot and attorneys who have that experience, they are being received with welcome arms in companies and law firms across the city. In fact, something that I've seen that I have really not seen in my 10 years of recruiting are senior attorneys who are either at law firms without books of business, or who are in health and who had previously practiced at law firms being courted back to law firms or into law firms to work on these types of matters. But to answer your question, we have had searches in all practice areas. We placed a record number of litigators. And I think that we're only going to see uh, more robust hiring as we get into 2022 and the courts fully open up again, because I think there are huge backlogs in terms of the matters. But then I also have seen executive compensation and employee benefits is a hot area. Trust and estates is a hot area and other types of, of niche areas as well. And of course, real estate remains very, very busy. And it's obviously a bit of a roller coaster with regards to real estate, but there is a lot happening.
0: On the candidate side, you mentioned earlier, there's a lot more factors candidates are looking into now as they're deciding whether or not to stay or switch firms. What are some of those factors?
2: So it's interesting. I think that to the extent that that we have found certain candidates very close to considering a move, I think that this is the first time that big law attorneys have been able to work from home or work from another remote location for the entirety of a year, year and a half. So I do think that for some big law attorneys who are receiving giant COVID area bonuses, plus salary bump. We haven't talked about this, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but about three or four months ago, the big law firms decided to raise starting salaries for first-year attorneys from an already astronomical $190,000 a year to $205,000 a year. That is an attorney coming out of law school with no experience, and there are bonuses on top of that. So a mid-level attorney is making a really nice living and they're able to hang out in Hawaii. I talked to one candidate who's been living in Africa for nine months and doing his job with a major law firm. So I think certain candidates aren't feeling any type of interest in moving because they can do this job and spend time with their family. And even though they might be working very long hours still, They have flexibility that they've never seen before. On the flip side, I think for other attorneys, the hours have been incredibly difficult. So we're seeing attorneys who in a normal year would build 2,400 who are billing 26, 2,800 because there is more work. The firms haven't necessarily been able to hire all of the support that they need to bring everyone's hours down to a normal level. So there's no question that the the quest for work-life balance continues to be a motivator for a number of candidates. But on top of that, again, I think that the pandemic got a lot of people thinking about what did they really wanna do? And so maybe they're in a practice area that isn't exactly what they wanted to do, or maybe, they're in the right practice area, but their firm doesn't necessarily represent exactly the types of clients that they would like to be working with. Or maybe they don't think that they're going to have opportunities to advance. And this is a great time to parlay that. And of course, you're always going to have candidates who are money motivated, and many are being offered very high sign-on bonuses. And so if they're relatively okay in their job, they might be enticed to make a move for a $50,000, $100,000 sign-on bonus to see if they might not be happier somewhere else.
1: Other than the obvious that Amit and I should have gone into big law, like you're describing, <laughs> given those... St- I mean, I, I'm sorry. It's funny because Amit and I always talk about like how little law school actually prepares you to practice and just how bad at being a lawyer most I don't know what percent it is, but most of us are coming out. (laughs) Just how sticker shock, just how much sticker shock I'm getting from those numbers for somebody who like is essentially a degree in a suit who really doesn't know what they're doing yet is, is insane. I guess good for them. It's just wild.
0: Well, especially wild from my perspective, because I graduated in 2012 where the market you'd have a better sense of this probably seemed the opposite of what it is right now. Well, it
2: wasn't, it was the opposite. Was it in 2009 and 2010 by 2012 it was sluggish but people did get jobs in 2009 2010 a lot of people who had attended even top law schools they just never entered the profession because there was nothing for them to do so but yes in 2012 it was definitely sluggish not active like it is now and and look these things are cyclical right so we know that at some point and without my crystal ball i can't tell you what that's going to be but there are definitely people and i don't know if it's the people starting law school this year who are then going to come out and have a rude awakening or maybe it's people that start started last year maybe the people that start five years from now but at some point the market will come down and there will be some sort of a correction
1: Do you have any going back at the micro level again? So, we're talking, we've talked about a lot of trends. We've talked a little bit about, you know, at the micro level individuals. Sticking with individuals for a minute, is there any advice you have or tips you give for attorneys who are looking to make a move, you know, in this stage? I realize that's a pretty broad question, but just like generally, yeah, just general tips you give people.
2: Oh my gosh, we definitely don't have enough time for me to give all of my tips. You know, I guess the first tip of course would be to call me because I'm going well, to give you wonderful advice, but so it, it doesn't differ greatly between law firms and in-house in terms of the advice that I give, but there are some slight differences. First of all, I think that you can't underestimate the benefit of networking and whether it's to, get people's advice so that you can make sure that the move that you make is a good one that's going to help set you on the course for where you're trying to go, or whether it's actually having someone submit your resume for a job that you're really excited about to help get your resume at the top of the pile, then I think that, that attorneys who aren't necessarily great networkers, that is the time to sort of turn that on and figure it out. So I should get royalties from LinkedIn for the number of people that I encourage to create a LinkedIn profile if they haven't already, or to make sure that they update that profile and actively reach out to people who they know so that they can really activate that network and use that network to help make personal human connection at the places where they think that they might want to work. Uh, beyond that, obviously, it's important to have a resume that demonstrates what you bring to the table. That has no typos. It has perfect formatting, and that is a living, breathing document. So, if, for example, you are open to an in-house role, and maybe based on your experience, you're looking at a couple different types. You maybe have one resume for a real estate focused role and another resume for an M&A focused role where you're highlighting different things, maybe removing certain bullets that are less relevant to what you're seeking. The biggest piece of advice that I would give to anyone, whether you're actively looking at a position, whether you are contacted by a friend or recruiter about something that seems like it could be interesting, Or if you've been in the same role for a number of years and you're at a flexion point where you wanna decide, do I wanna stay here or do I wanna consider other options? Is that applying to a job or having a coffee with an employer is not committing to making a move. If you don't have conversations, if you don't figure out what is out there that could be benefiting you in your career, then you don't know that you're doing the best thing for yourself. Having those conversations is going to do one of two things. It's either going to open up your eyes to the fact that maybe there are things out there that you hadn't considered that could be great for you, or it very well might get you to appreciate where you're working. Either way, it's a huge benefit. And I think that it really, Any person who keeps their head down and just assumes or thinks that their firm or company is going to take care of them and it's all going to be fine, they're really doing a disservice to them.
1: I guess that's a good segue because you're kind of hinting at a common error that people make, and I think it's something we hear a lot, because if you've spent some time somewhere, I think you hope anyway, it's natural that you're going to trust the folks you're with and that people are going to do right by you, but people make odd business decisions sometimes or they get short-sighted or they get greedy, right? So like with that, with that, I think you could call it a mistake or common error that people make. Are there others that you see, again, knowing that you could probably write a book on it given this is what you've done for a long time. Are there a couple common errors you see on that side of it from, from candidates, not clients? See, I got it, I was listening. Candidates, not clients in terms of the search process or, or job hopping or hunting.
2: Right, well, and let's be clear, there are plenty of mistakes on both sides, right? My clients also make mistakes and I'd be happy to speak to to those as well. But so, right, so I think the first one is not being open to new opportunities. The second one that we already kind of covered is to, to not use networking as part of that process. I think another mistake that a lot of people make is not really thinking creatively or strategically about what they want to be doing. So they maybe are very reactive. They have a bad review or a bad conversation with a client or a coworker. And so they just say, okay, I'm gonna find a new job, but, and then take the next, the first thing that comes along rather than making a comparison. You know, one thing that's really interesting and I think this is something where maybe we all just need to meet in the middle a little bit is, that when I was coming through, you would never leave a job without a job. Some of the younger and millennial generation, if they're not happy in their job, then they're just going to quit and they often are able to find a new job. I think that, that again, something in the middle, right? So people of my generation often will stay in a job where they're miserable because they just make the assumption that it's never going to get better and everything is the same and that is an incorrect assumption. Plus, if they are truly miserable, I've come to learn in my many years of practice and recruiting that it's okay to have a break. Your sanity, your happiness is more important than having a perfectly clean resume that has a very clear and consistent work history. On the flip side for those millennials, employers are often more from my generation. And if they see a resume with a lot of jumps on it, they are wary and they probably aren't going to talk to that candidate. So definitely, I would say that if you Are someone that has made a lot of moves, then I strongly encourage you to invest the time to make sure that if you're going to make another move, that it's going to be a long-term move because you really want to have some stable job history on your resume. And again, everyone has different experiences, everyone has different tolerances, but, If you are unhappy at your job, reach out to someone like me to help you figure out, are you truly miserable where you need to maybe make a drastic decision and quit? Or are there just a couple of things that maybe you can go back to your employer and have them fix, so that you can at least stay for a little while longer, if not, maybe rectify that situation and turn that job around so it actually becomes something positive.
0: Well, is this the case in the legal industry too? I know in other industries, uh, a candidate is more likely to get a better sign-on bonus if they're still employed because it takes more of an inducement to pull them away. Would that be the same case within legal or no?
2: Absolutely, and in legal, most often sign-on bonuses are to replace the bonus that that candidate would be walking away from by starting at that firm or company mid-year. So, and again, it depends, right? If you have left your employer because you had a, you know, a sales event or a merger event, and you had some sort of a severance and a mutual agreement to walk away, but you have a really strong resume and a strong background, you might get a sign on just because that client really wants you. That's going to be different than the junior associate that worked at the job for three months or six months. And walked away. And they might have a great story, but at the end of the day, without walking away from something, they likely aren't going to convince a new employer to give them a sign on bonus. You definitely okay. lose some leverage.
0: Ideally, you'd walk away with a severance package with a new job lined up and the the bonus, but that's a different Absolutely. conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, only happens to college football coaches on it. That's not really... <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned mistakes, you're Clients make too, what are some of those?
2: So almost always when a client reaches out to me, it's because they have a critical and urgent need, which would indicate that this is important to them. And so they are going to put this at the top of their priority list. What I often find is that clients, they know they wanna get the job filled, but they have so many other priorities that getting candidates through the process and getting them through quickly gets lost at the wayside. And particularly in this smoking hot hiring environment, I can't tell you how many strong candidates have been lost to clients who are dragging their feet. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to get your busy business people and attorneys to carve out half an hour, an hour, to interview three or four candidates for this type of a role. But if you don't make the time, then you're going to lose people either to other jobs or just because inertia is not your friend, right? In a hiring process, you want things to go quickly. When you have that great connection with the candidate, you wanna show them the love You want to show them how much they mean to you and get them through, get them their offer and tell them how excited you are to bring them on board.
0: Is that hiring process different between law firms and in-house roles?
2: It's definitely different, but it doesn't have to be so different. I think that generally law firms do a much better job of if they see a candidate that they're excited about, they will move quickly. And they will get people to interview. Now they generally have a little bit different type of a framework because they probably have fewer candidates at any given time. Plus, particularly if it's a bigger firm, they have more people to choose from. So I think that's what what we really are seeing is that in the in-house realm, where they might have a small legal department and it's a very that schedule the people that they have to meet, they have more difficulty rounding those people up. But I've had law firms that have also moved at a snail's pace, and 50 percent of the time, when you move too slowly, you mess it up, whether it's to a competitor or whether that candidate decides just to stay at their job because they stop feeling the love.:
0: Hey, this is Ahmed and Max. Thanks for listening to Employee to Lawyer.
1: I hope you're all enjoying the show and the content and all of our guest stories. And we'd love your help in spreading news about Neil Illinois and the show. Please
0: encourage your friends and family to subscribe and share.
1: And if you happen to listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review. But only if it's going to be a five-star rating. Yeah, otherwise we're all set. Sticking with the in-house bit, it's always been my understanding that going in-house is sort of the culmination that you've spent time maybe litigating or getting a good general framework that gives you a broad range of knowledge. And you you might go in-house for improved quality of life, maybe more stability to things, not wanting to do billable anymore. I, I guess, is it possible to do the reverse for folks to decide, you know what, I don't, I mean, obviously anything's possible, right? But like, it's a move I certainly hear of less. Now, to be fair, I'm not in the recruiting world like you are. So maybe I just don't hear about a lot of things that happen a lot there. But can you can you speak to that back and forth of people going in-house or people leaving in-house to go back into the, let's call it more traditional legal world?
2: It happens all the time. Right now, again, because we have this very robust, busy hiring environment, we're seeing it more. And I actually spoke with a candidate this morning who is making the move from you know, he was at the law firm and then he was in-house for about 10 years. And now he's going back to a law firm. And we were joking about how shout out to the hills that you know, going in-house isn't necessarily everything it's cracked up to be. So I think that sometimes it's from disillusionment. Sometimes it's from compensation. And sometimes it's just out of necessity because if your position is eliminated and if the specific type of role that you are looking for or qualified for isn't open, then again, at a law firm, you're revenue generating. And so there are often more opportunities
0: there. In this market, how important is it to law firms that someone has a book of business they're bringing with them?
2: Well, a law firm is always much more excited to speak with a senior candidate that has a book of business, right? As a junior or a mid-level associate, you're not expected to have business. And in some firms, it's actually even disfavored, right? If it's a large law firm and you have clients where you could have low billing matters or uh, low revenue matters, then that's not really worth their time. But as a senior attorney for certain firms and certain positions, they are only looking at people with small or significant books of business, depending on the size of the firm and the needs at the time. That said, if there is a need to have certain types of work done, and we're seeing this a lot more now than I have at any time in my career, there is a real opportunity, whether you're coming from another law firm or coming from an in-house environment, to move into a law firm as a counsel or potentially even as a non-share partner, even though you don't have a book of business.
1: So you mentioned book of business. It makes sense how that's the kind of thing that you can transport when you're transactional, or let's say you're a management side lawyer in our world. You just have certain clients who who pay you on a consistent basis or who you do ongoing work for sometimes it's litigation sometimes you're just helping them you know here or there as they need something done. but on the other side of it, let's say our world is it possible or do do firms that are hiring more senior level folks look for somebody who has a book because when you're on the plaintiff side, right, a book of business looks very different than on the defense side. I mean, I think at least my read on it is it's more referral relationships than anything else. can you can you speak to that?
2: Absolutely. So a law firm is just a business. And as in any sales business, right? All a book of business is is it shows your success at selling. And even though, as a plaintiff attorney, or even as a, say, a debtor side bankruptcy attorney on the defense side, you're generally not going to have repeat clients. So what they are going to look at in terms of quantifying a book of business is going to be your recent history. And if you are demonstrating over time that each year, either you're every year, year over year, you're increasing your generations, or, you know, maybe it's, consistent, but within a certain range, or inconsistent within a certain range, they, they're basically just looking at your trajectory and your past performance, and that is the best indicator of future performance.
0: How do you properly represent that? Is, is it just to say, here's what I brought in over the last five years, so you can see the trends, or is it to say, here are the companies that are going to come with me, or here are the referrals I know?
2: It's all of it. So for a, a partner or a council candidate who's looking to make a move to a firm, they are going to fill something out called a lateral partner questionnaire. I'm going to include all kinds of information, like what's your billable rate? What have your billings been over years? What have your billable hours been? Who are those clients? Who are your potential clients? What is your likelihood of bringing them in? And everybody understands that there are no guarantees. But again, past performance is the greatest likelihood of indicating future performance. And so I think that everybody works together to figure out what's going to make the most sense. And in terms of that compensation arrangement, generally, you're going to shift a little bit of the burden to both sides, right? So you're not going to give a base salary based on the most optimistic interpretation of what you might bring over but your base will be somewhere in the middle and then it will include some sort of incentive so that if your best case scenario does come true that you are going to be earning a significant amount and generally more than at the firm that you're leaving
0: Well, that brings up another good segue which is how do your clients negotiate salary in light of salary history bans and stuff like that what are I guess, how are they going through that process?
2: It's funny, there's been a lot of talk about this salary history ban, but it's actually really not a big deal at all. We just have gone from asking people, what do they make to what's your compensation target? And all of my clients understand that that's all we can ask and that's where we are. And you just move forward from that. Now, of course, some percentage of candidates will tell me, but I cannot use that information going forward. So it's largely irrelevant, but sometimes it is helpful because if somebody has a compensation target that's far above what they're making and it's a great opportunity, while I would never share that information with a client, it is a coaching opportunity for me to be able to say, oh, hey, in light of the fact. That this would be a raise or a lateral move, but have A, B, and C benefit, then maybe you want to choose that versus if I only know their comp target and it's a significant amount away, and then I just might walk away from that discussion and say,
0: oh, sorry, that didn't line up. Well, so we have the segment we like to do at the end of our episodes. We call And,
1: it we, and show- we know Carolyn doesn't know it's coming. So this is great. Exactly. It's
0: way better when you don't know it's coming. We call it the shout out of the week so it can be a book it can be a tv show it can be a person it can be a family member it can be a pet it can be literally anything so who is your shout out for the week or what
2: i am going to give my shout out of the week to my son aiden he is a senior at whitney young and he's on the whitney young golf team and it's been a rough year for these poor young golfers as they they lost a lot of good team members over the last couple of years but they went to the regional competition on Wednesday, I believe it was, and they did great. They came in second in the whole competition. They beat out all of the other city schools and they are moving on to, oh, I don't know. They were in sectionals. They're moving to regionals. They were in regional sectionals. I don't know which one comes first, but they're moving on to the next one. So I'm very happy for them.
0: That's awesome. Great job, Aiden. Does he have a favorite golfer?
2: That's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure he does, but I don't know who it is. I'm sure his father could talk on that subject for hours.
1: I think we're gonna date ourselves. I don't really watch golf when I was a kid. I grew up watching like Tiger was that was when Tiger was winning all of his titles. But now I think your son would probably have officially aged out of that and Tiger would just be some 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 (laughs) old guy with 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 personal issues and a broken down body.
2: So I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, and so I'm a huge Ernie Palmer fan.
1: That's awesome. He's my,
2: he's my hometown
1: boy. I wish we we actually had video for these episodes. That
2: would be amazing.
1: It would be amazing because I'm a spastic goofball who has weird things happen to him that only Amit and our guest every now and again get to enjoy. But for the listeners at home, my microphone just delatched from my desk and went flying and everybody else laughed. I, of course, panicked because that's what I do when that happens. So that...
0: Lisa a good segue. do you want any, do you want to plug anything?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I mean other than just my amazing recruiting services, which I think are kind of getting getting plugged, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think' I'm okay.
0: Well, how does someone find you? A candidate or a client?
2: So the best way to find me is you can look on the Lucas group website and find my bio. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn and I encourage everyone to look for me there. And you can always email me at caberman at lucasgroup.com.
1: Carolyn, thank you for making time for us on a Friday evening. Congrats to your son, Aiden, on a job well done and hard work in these trying golf times. And thanks for telling us all about this.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Our podcast is intended to provide general reviews of employment laws. The
0: statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinions. We are not your attorneys. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.